Generation shortfalls are very rare. Over the last 10 years, they've accounted for about 0.1% of all outages for customers. Well over 97% of outages are in the distribution network. That's the poles and wires that bring electricity from the transmission network to your house. Welcome to the Grattan Institute podcast channel. Welcome to the very first Grattan podcast for 2019. I'm Paul Austin, the editor at Grattan Institute, and today we're discussing one of the big policy debates of our age, power supply. Australians are sweating through a long, hot summer. At various times, many of us have experienced the inconvenience and frustration of a power blackout. Any number of questions arise. Does Australia generate enough electricity? How will we cope when more old coal power stations are closed? Is the supply becoming less reliable with more renewables, such as wind and solar? And what, if anything, can be done to cut my electricity bill? It's a contested and sometimes confusing area of public policy. But my two guests today can shed a lot of light on these questions and more. I'm joined firstly by Grattan Institute's Energy Fellow, Guy Dundas. Guy, welcome to you. Good morning, Paul. And I'm also joined by Grattan Senior Associate Lucy Percival. Lucy, hello. Hi, Paul. How are you? Guy and Lucy are co-authors of an insightful new report on electricity reliability in Australia. Guy, you've called the report Keep Calm and Carry On. Tell me why. The media has talked a lot about blackouts recently, so the people sitting at home listening might be wondering whether their electricity supply will remain reliable into the future. So we thought we should look at it and see whether there really was a problem and, if so, what government should do about it. And we found, although reporting of blackouts has increased 10 times in the last two years compared to the decade beforehand, outages are basically flat. So we think the problems in the media have been overstated and uh, people need to keep calm and carry on. There are things we need to do, but the problem is manageable and it's probably not as big as you'd think it was if you were uh, sitting at home reading the, the newspapers and listening to the news. And does the title of your report suggest that you're worried about panic, overreaction? It's certainly possible that people can overreact to a problem, particularly when it's in the media all the time. Obviously, politicians are sensitive to how things are reported and how people, uh, how big a problem people perceive things to be. Sure. So if you overreact, the real risk is that you'll take very expensive steps to get very small improvements in reliability. So throughout the whole uh, energy system and throughout our work, we try to look for that balance between costs and benefits. Obviously, everyone wants a more reliable power supply, but you might not be willing to pay for it. So it's about getting that trade-off right. I'd put it to you that one of the reasons that there might be increased public concern, certainly increased media attention, is that there's been two really big headline-grabbing shocks to the system in the recent past. I'm talking about the statewide blackout in South Australia in late 2016 and then the quite rapid closure of the Hazelwood, the big Hazelwood coal power station in Victoria in 2017. So I just want to spend a bit of time on those two 
big shocks just to understand how they fit into the discussion. Firstly, South Australia guy, here's a straightforward question. Why did South Australia go black? It's, it's not straightforward, Paul, but really? I'll, I'll do my best. Firstly, to set the context, I think just to, to remind everyone that that increase in reporting we saw was very closely timed to the, the South Australian blackout. It really was a big event. You're talking about increased media Increased reporting. media reporting, that's Got right. It was very closely timed to that SA blackout. Clearly, it was a big and concerning event, and people would want to know whether it's going to happen again. So it's important to understand what caused it and, and what people have done in response. Mm -hmm. So the... South Australia had a lot of wind generation on uh, online that day in September 2016. And there was a large series of lightning storms and tornadoes that went through the state. It knocked down some power lines and that destabilised the grid. Sure. And those wind farms saw that destabilisation and they tripped off so that they wouldn't be damaged. That meant that we needed to bring a lot more power in over the interconnector from Victoria into South Australia. That line became overloaded and it disconnected to protect itself. So you, you sort of have a cascading series of events. There just wasn't enough supply in South Australia after those events to, to keep the lights on, and the whole system shut down to protect itself. Okay, so that's a series of unfortunate events. It's a few years ago now, even though it still remains pretty uh, sharp in many people's memories. But what are the lessons that needed to be learned, and have they been learned? Perhaps it's worth talking just firstly about what the blackout didn't tell us or Please. didn't mean. So the trip of the wind farms was not inherent to their nature of being a wind farm. This is not a problem that is true of all wind farms. It was a particular setting that caught, that triggered on that day, and that setting was fixed in a matter of weeks after right. the, the event. So it's not a problem that simply having more wind farms will lead to that problem recurring in the future. But there was a more general problem, really two more general problems, and that was if South Australia is over-reliant on that link to Victoria, then the risk of losing that is very big mm -hmm. and the risk of another blackout is, is, is larger. So South Australia has taken steps to be less reliant on that link. Less power will come over under certain circumstances and they have some backup um, just in case there is a problem. So, for example, people might have heard of the, the, the so-called Tesla battery in South Australia. Sure. So that will now rapidly inject power into the South Australian grid in the event that Hazel, uh, the Haywood interconnector might get tripped. So if our South Australian listeners should take one thing away from this, is it that 2000, September 2016 is unlikely to happen again? That's right, Paul. Okay. So a lot of steps have been taken and the grid is far more robust than it was in September 2016. We've okay. learned from that event and we've taken uh, important actions. Let's talk about the other big shock briefly, um, Guy. Hazelwood was closed in 2017, the Hazelwood Coal Power Station in the Latrobe Valley in Victoria. Why was it closed? The main reason is that it was very old. Mm -hmm. So its owners discovered that it needed they needed to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to make it safe to operate. There was a WorkSafe notice that made that clear. And they gave the market about five months' notice that it would close down. So you do hear arguments that it was because of a brown coal royalty increase mm -hmm. or that it was because the wind farms were taking their market away from them. 
I would, couldn't, you couldn't rule them out as being contributing factors, but it was very clearly the main cause was that it was a very old power station that needed many hundreds of millions of dollars to keep operating. What lessons should be learned? What lessons can be learned when an old, worn-out power station is closed with such short notice? Ideally, we'd like more notice. And a rule has recently been implemented to, that requires generators to give three years notice of closure. Now, that rule can't stop a sudden technical failure from, from you know, causing a generator to, to break, and it might be just impossible to bring that back into operation, but it reduces the likelihood that we'll see another Hazelwood closure again. Mm-hmm. But looking forward, the next there will be more coal closures over the coming years. We know that these plants are getting old, and we know that we need to reduce emissions. So this is something that we should be ready for. The next one slated is the Liddell Power Station in New South Wales. That's also been discussed a lot lately, and the, the Commonwealth Government has expressed a view that it should keep operating. But there's a big difference between Liddell and Hazelwood. So the Liddell closure is slated for 2022 and yes. was first really announced in 2015. So that's seven years' notice. Compare that to the five or six month notice of Hazelwood. Clearly, the market has time to respond to that closure. So I think that circumstance is really very different. But just to, I guess, foreshadow some things that I'm sure you'll talk about with Lucy, we're still dealing with the effects of the Hazelwood closure today. It was only just over two years ago that it was announced. And the market is still tight. And as we know, it's been particularly tight this summer. So we're still dealing with the effects of that sudden closure. We don't want to see that sudden closure again. So, Lucy, let me bring you in here. Um, There is a big question that your report is tackling. How reliable is Australia's electricity supply? You're right, Paul. That is a big question. Firstly, our report is mainly looking at the national electricity market, which is the East Coast states, ACT, South Australia and Tasmania. And if you're talking about reliability, that could be a very narrow technical definition or a broader outage um, rate that you're talking about. So at a high level, looking at all outages, reliability has been improving. The underlying normalised rate has been slowly declining over time. But we get a lot of big fluctuations year to year as we have big storms, as there are across a lot of Australia at the moment. Yep. That can have a big impact between different years. Uh, and then if you compare Australia to other countries, we do tend to have a slightly r- higher rate than other high income countries, um, which is partly about the nature of our geography. And we'll get more into where you live and how it affects your electricity supply soon. So you're telling me, Lucy, that reliability is in fact improving over time in Australia? That's right, Paul. Although you might not notice it, uh, depending on the summer we're currently going through, generally things have been getting better over time. Uh, As technology has improved the network, it's meant that there's been the introduction of auto-reclosers, which helps the network fix more quickly when there is a small fault mm-hmm. uh, and investment over time has been able to improve it. So the underlying rate has improved, but depending on the year, it might be a slightly worse year than others. Okay, so general improvement, but I live in Melbourne, Lucy, and just before Australia Day this year, hot summer we've had, there were power outages, blackouts people would refer to them as, and I think it might be that about 200,000 people were affected. What happened then? 
That was a particularly unusual day. And you're talking about a more technical definition of reliability Mm -hmm. there, which is when we have a generation shortfall. We had a series of unfortunate events lead up to an outage on an extremely hot day. And you are more likely to get outages on an extremely hot day across the network and because people run their air conditioners really hard on those days. And so it's harder for there to be enough supply for all of the demand as we want to stay cool. But fortunately, those generation shortfalls do not happen very often. How often? So the last time it had happened in Melbourne was in 2009, which was also an extremely hot summer. And we had a generation shortfall at that point that led to uh, more generation being built and more supply in the system. And so we hadn't had that problem for around a decade. Okay. So generational shortfalls, not enough supply to meet the demand of the moment is so rare that it's happened this summer in Melbourne and the last time it happened was 10 years ago, the summer of Black Saturday. These are very rare events. That's correct. Okay, so generational shortfalls don't happen very often, but my power goes out more often than that. Explain this to me. Why are there so many blackouts? Mm. Paul, you're correct. Generation shortfalls are very rare. Over the last 10 years, they've accounted for about 0.1% of all outages for customers. Well over 97% of outages are in the distribution network. That's the poles and wires that bring electricity from the transmission network to your house. And even for people within the networks that were affected by those outages, they're more likely on average to experience outages for other reasons. So these other reasons include things like planned maintenance because they need to be able to maintain the system. You need to take off an area of houses or businesses for a short period of time to do regular maintenance or innocuous things like plants falling on power lines, possums getting in and uh, damaging things and also weather breaking this network. It Mm -hmm. struggles under the heat. Sure. So I thought one of the very interesting pieces of research from your report, Lucy, was what seems to be a tyranny of distance when it comes to power reliability in Australia. Just explain that. Yes, Paul, you're right. That A lot of your regular outage rate is going to depend on where you live. Mm-hmm. So people in big cities tend to have much more reliable power than people who live in much more rural and remote areas. Why? So people who live in urban areas have more of the network underground, so it's less subject to those trees and possums. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a problem of the length of the network to get to you. So there's... If you are on a feeder, so part of the network that has incredibly long lines to get to your house, there's just more of the network that is exposed to the elements and to the possums. So things can go wrong. And then when things go wrong, it can take a lot longer for someone to come and fix it and to even find where that problem is. So I understand all that, but is there anything that can be done to alleviate that or fix it? Or do people in the bush just have to cope with having a less reliable electricity supply? A little bit of both, Paul. You Mm -hmm. can, there are some improvements that are being done to improve the reliability for people in more rural and remote areas. There are some technologies like standalone power systems that may 
improve reliability for those areas. And that is currently being investigated Mm -hmm. and trials are underway. But unfortunately, to fix their reliability or bring it to the same level as the cities would be impossibly expensive. I've got another technical question for you, Lucy. It Mm. intrigues me. Why does my power go out more often when it's hot? That's because the system feels the heat, much like we do on those very hot days. So the the way that electricity networks work is that as the heat increases, they can push through less power. And so things are more likely to break um, because the system is under stress. And we're also running our systems much harder yes. on those very hot days. Yes. Lines sag. Um Assets get overloaded and break. And so you just tend to have many more outages on those extremely hot days. So does that suggest that climate change, global warming, will make this problem worse? It is possible that it will make it worse. Uh, We expect that if there was one degree of warming and we had the network as it has been over the last 10 years, we'd expect an average of 26 minutes more outages per customer per year, which is quite a lot. But things will change to accommodate for that. So there will be some investment that improves it. The network will become more resilient. But it will also cost money to do that. So there is a trade-off between paying more to keep our reliability at the level it is and the willingness to pay for that. A very popular perception, I would put it to you, Lucy, is that, and Guy touched on this earlier, more wind farms, more solar energy, less coal equals less reliability. Is that true? That's a very complicated question. Uh, Simply, if nothing was done and just more renewables were put into the system, it's possible that that could be a problem, but that's not where we're going. There are plenty of technological solutions to manage the transition to more renewable power. Just before we get to those solutions, just tell me a bit more about that problem. Why Why is a wind power station, as it were, inherently less reliable than a coal-fired power station? Uh, So the often discussed media response is that sometimes the wind doesn't blow or the sun doesn't shine. Yeah. There's plenty of ways around that by having firming products, having batteries or hydro, other options that back up the system. Uh, There are also other services that the coal-fired power stations and gas have provided over the years they are what are called synchronous generators. Mm -hmm. And so wind and solar don't provide that as a part of their sort of natural service to the system, Um, but they can be provided separately. If that wasn't addressed, it could make things slightly worse, but that is one of the things that is already being addressed in South Australia after the system black. Guy, we'll sum up shortly, but uh, Lucy mentioned the need for investment, obviously in future power supply, given what we've discussed here, the retirement of old, particularly coal power stations. Is there an investment strike in the power industry in Australia? Is there confusion? Is there a policy framework? What is going on with regard to investment? Paul, there's no investment strike. 
In fact, we're seeing a lot of investment in wind and solar at the moment. Mm -hmm. What we're not seeing is investment in that flexible, dispatchable generation like gas or hydro that Lucy mentioned is really important to balance the system. Why not? If it's important, why aren't people buying it or investing in it at least? The story really comes back to emissions and certainty for investors about where the sector's going. Everyone knows that we need to reduce emissions to meet Australia's international commitments, Mm -hmm. but investors haven't been told the framework and the rules under which that will happen. We've had about 10 years of climate policy debate. I'm sure many of the listeners will be very familiar with the ins and outs of that. And investors are crying out for certainty. So there are many ways you could address it. We think that a very practical, pragmatic way forward was the policy that the COAG Energy Council was considering last year called the National Energy Guarantee. The Commonwealth Government took that off the table and it's time to put that back on the table, get it in place and give investors the certainty they need. Okay, so Guy, I'm getting the message that the reliability issue is not as fraught perhaps in Australia as we might think. Uh, that the transition that is underway from, if you like, old power to a new lower emissions economy is underway. But you do, in this report, suggest a range of policy measures and administrative arrangements and rules that would enhance this necessary transition. Can you just explain some of those to us? I can So the National Energy Guarantee has two elements. So one is around the emissions reduction task. Yep. And the other one is about making clear an obligation on retailers and large energy purchasers that they have to make sure they have enough firm dispatchable generation to meet their needs on those very hot days that put the system under stress. Mm -hmm. The market already has strong incentives for people to deliver this, but that will support those incentives. And so that's an important element of what we need. Sure. But it's important to keep in mind that the the size of the problem is small. As Lucy mentioned, it's very rare that we run out of generation. So those policies will reinforce the existing strength of the market and help get us ready for, say, that next cold closure, maybe Liddell in 2022. What we don't need is governments overreacting and coming in to directly target a so-called reliability problem with things like underwriting power stations mm-hmm. on uh, particularly we hear about baseload power stations on the logic that that will make the system reliable that just makes even more uncertainty for investors that are out there trying to work out what the market needs and governments very rarely get those decisions right they often come in with the wrong type of generation at the wrong time mm-hmm. and the wrong amount and it just makes it actually harder to address the, that challenge that we do face when Liddell closes. So sum up for us, Guy, what's the main message after the work that you guys have done on this report? What's the main message you would hope that policymakers and indeed all Australians will get from this document? I've seen headlines like power system in crisis, Paul, from what we've found in our research, that just doesn't stack up. Mm -hmm. Reforms are needed, but they're quite targeted reforms. And these are things that have been sitting on the uh, politicians' to-do list for over a decade. We know that they need to address emissions. 
Investors are asking for that certainty about how to do it. It's about time they got got their act together and delivered that. What we don't need is heavy-handed government interventions to, you know, to to uh, fix a system that politicians might like to pretend is in crisis or might like to use as a political football. We just want them to stick to their knitting and focus on the real issue, which is to give investors a stable uh, framework in which to uh, target those emissions reductions. Thanks, Guy, and thank you, Lucy, for your penetrating work on this report and for your expertise and your explanations today. And thank you to you, our listeners. If you'd like to read the Electricity Reliability Report or any of our other reports and articles on energy policy, head to our website, grattan.edu.au. It's all there, alive and free. You can stay up to date with all of Grattan's news and events by following us on Twitter at GrattanInst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening. Grattan Institute is uniquely positioned to bring an independent, rigorous and practical lens to big issues in public policy with the capacity to talk honestly to both sides of politics. We maintain this unique position through the generosity of the public and our affiliate companies. If you would like to find out more about contributing to our continued independence, head to our website to donate, grattan.edu.au. This has been a Grattan Institute podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes.